I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 to verse 16. And we're going to start a new series today titled Waiting on God. Everybody say Waiting on God. And the whole idea with this series is to, is to acknowledge the importance of exercising patience while we wait for God to fulfill His promise in our lives. I am so grateful that, that, that God is not a microwave God in the sense of that when I expect Him to, that, 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 I am, that I can obligate Him to operate on my timeline. God is God, right? And because He's God, He does what He wants. Uh, he expresses His will. He invites us to be a part of His will part of the working out of His will, but we have to learn to trust His timing. Um, I am so grateful that God is not haphazard in what He does. Yes, God is free to, to change His mind in any moment, to do what He wants to do in any moment, uh, but, I, but I also believe, more importantly, that God is a God of, of timing. God has a plan. He has a purpose. You know, I think about my life and your life, and I realize that while there are events and circumstances that oftentimes catch us off guard, right? They happen suddenly, without warning, unexpectedly. With God, nothing ever catches Him by surprise. Nothing ever sneaks up on God. You cannot sneak up on God. Um, you can't come to God and catch Him off guard or, 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 or put Him in a situation where He is trying to figure out what He's supposed to do. No, no. God, God knows all things. And, and because God knows all things, God knows the perfect time for all things. And, and what we have to do is rather than expect God to acquiesce to our, our timeline, that we have to learn to exercise patience and to most importantly trust God that because He has a plan for my life, that in His own timing He will bring to fruition the plans that He has for me. I want, I want to emphasize this point, and I'm sure we've all experienced this before. Um, that, you know, the times where maybe you wanted something badly and you thought it should happen now, you thought this was the good time to, for it to happen, and it did not. And of course, naturally, you were disappointed. You were expecting it to come through in that moment, and it didn't. And maybe in your mind, you thought, oh, because it didn't happen based on your timeline, it's never going to happen. I mean, examples in the scriptures of people who are waiting on God. Some people were waiting on God for years and years and years. You have to imagine that at some point in that journey of waiting that they must have thought to themselves, God, is it ever going to happen? You said you're going to do X, Y, and Z for me, but God, are you really still going to do it? Because I'm still waiting here. Um, you know, I, I thought it was going to happen at this time in, 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 my, in my story, uh, and it didn't happen. So, God, are you still intending to do what you said you're going to do? There's a story we're about to look at in the scriptures, Genesis chapter 16. This is a story of a man named Abraham, and you all know this story very well. Um, but he was a man that the Bible tells us um, had an encounter with the Lord and, and he serves as an example for you and I of what it means to trust God, how we should trust God. If there's anyone who learned the value of trusting God, trusting God's timing, it was Abraham. Now, does it mean he uh, always did right? No. In fact, with the story we're about to look at, we're going to see illustrated this point of, of us taking matters into our own hands rather than trusting God's timing and discovering that it, it, it doesn't turn out well. Again, God is a God of perfect timing, but then when we try to sidestep His plans by taking matters into our own hands rather than trusting Him, it never goes well. So in Genesis chapter 16, we see the scriptures tell us um, um, uh, a scenario that played out, you, you talk about uh, reality TV, right? Um, 
years before, approximately about 11 years before, God had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to make out of Abraham a great nation. God was going to bless him and his wife Sarah, and that they were going to be father and mother of a, of a, of a great nation, a great uh, line of descendants. But the problem was, at least humanly speaking, for both individuals, is they were barren. They didn't have children. Um, and, and they were approaching you know, this point of not being able to even have kids anymore, physically. And, and yet the scripture shows that they trusted God, they took his word, um, Abraham trusted God, Abraham took steps to demonstrate that he believed that God was going to do what he said he would do whenever he was going to do it. But when we get to chapter 16, 11 years has passed since the moment that God first made this promise to this scenario we're about to read. And you have to imagine again, time was quote unquote not on their side. They're getting order and order with each passing day. And, and with having to wait year after year after year, God is it this year, God is it this year, God is it this year, you have to wonder where they're starting to get discouraged. Well, we may not necessarily know that necessarily about Abraham, but we get a sense, especially in chapter 16, that Sarah was getting discouraged. To the point where Sarah actually at a point believed that God was not intending to fulfill his promise. And so she decided to take matters into her own hands. We're going to read verse 1 to verse 16. It's quite a few verses, but I think it's important for us to read how this scenario plays out as we explain this morning what it means to exercise patience while we wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled in our lives. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not borne him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abraham, to Abram, See now. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. I want you to underline that phrase because we're going to come back to this. Sarah says, see now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Now pause for a second. That arrangement, was, did, did God suggest that that was going to be the way he was going to do what he said he was going to do? Was it? No. So clearly, Sarah is taking matters into her own hands. Let's read verse 3. And so after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar, Hagar the Egyptian, her slave woman, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. Then he had relations with Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress was insignificant in her sight. And so Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be upon you. What? <laughs> it's like, like, you suggested this, not me, right? And yet Sarai is upset with her husband. May the wrong done to me be upon you. I put my slave woman into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her, in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, look, your slave woman is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. And so Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. And now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's, Sarai's slave woman, from where have you come and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And so the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. 
The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. But he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in defiance of all his brothers. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees me. For she said, Have I even seen him here and lived after he saw me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore a son to Abraham, and Abraham named, him, named his son to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So again, we just, we just read this scenario play out, right, where on the heels of God making his promise to Abraham and Sarai that he was going to make out of them a great nation, and then 11 years passing, and in their minds, they think God has forgotten the promise. God is no longer interested in fulfilling his word. Hagar, uh, Sarai decides, excuse me, that she would take matters into her own hands, and she offers her servant, uh, who was well within childbearing age, to her husband and said, well, perhaps she can be a surrogate mother. Um, of course, back in those days, the way surrogacy was done is very different from it is the way it is today. You know, in those days, your slave was your property. Um, and so, you know, your slave's children were considered yours. And so it was very easy for Sarah, at least in her mind, to think, if I give this, my slave woman to my husband so that she can bear a child for him, then I can take possession of that child because that child is, based on those, that culture standards, mine. But the problem is that this was not part of God's plan. Again, when we find ourselves waiting on God to fulfill a promise that we know, we know, we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has said this, he would do this, and we know he's going to do it. But then when we have to wait for the promise to be fulfilled, we begin to ask questions. God, what's going on? God, why haven't you answered my prayers? God, why haven't you come through? Why haven't you made a way? I believe you're going to meet me in my place and point of need. But, but God, this waiting, is, this waiting game is, is, is beginning to wear on me, and I'm beginning to struggle to believe whether truly this is your plan for my life. But, but it's important for us, again, to recognize one thing. Number one, that God is not a liar. What God says he will do, he will always do. Now, I'm grateful that even as God makes his promise, God doesn't necessarily, is not obligated to tell us when he's going to fulfill that promise. God can make a promise to you, and it may not be for decades before that promise is fulfilled. Now, does it mean that God has failed? No. Because again, God sees the big picture. God sees the end from the beginning. Everything that God intends for us to do fits into the purpose and plan that he has for us. And imagine if we were to simply take matters into our own hands, we would essentially mess up what God is seeking to accomplish in our lives. And so we must learn to, rather than complain or rather than gripe with God or rather than get him to acquiesce to us, that we say, God, in this season of waiting on you to fulfill your promise that I know you're going to fulfill, God, build within me a patient heart. Help me to trust you. Help me to hold on to you. Help me to allow this season of waiting, of, 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 of growing, of, 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 of seeking your face, and of allowing to work your work plan out in my life be for my own benefit as well. And so what I want to address this morning is this idea of what happens when we take matters into our own hands. In other words, when we sidestep God's timing for us. The first thing that you notice in this story is this, and, 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 and I think it's an important point to make, and I think it's foundation to what we're discussing today, that when we, when we choose to sidestep God's timing, what we are essentially doing is we are substituting His perfect will with our short-sighted wants. Every time we 
try to go around God's timing, where we try to take matters into our own hands and make happen for us, for ourselves, what he has already said he's going to do for us. What we're essentially doing is we're saying, God, your perfect will is not good enough for me. My short-sighted want is more important than your perfect will. And that is a big mistake. Because again, we are not infinite when it comes to what is known. We do not know. We do not know all things. We do not see the big picture. Our perspective is very limited. And so when we insist on having our way, we are creating problems for ourselves. And this is essentially what happened with Sarai. She chose to work out God's promise rather than wait for God to act. God didn't say to her, Sarah, I'm going to give you a child and you go figure out how that's going to happen. God simply told her, I am going to give you a child. Now, it was not Sarah's place to try to work that out. And there was certainly no excuse for her to do what she did. But how easy it is for us when we find ourselves waiting on God and we feel like we've been waiting on God for so long and we continue to pray and we seek His face and we feel like God is not listening, God is not hearing us, that we think, well, maybe I need to do what I think I should do. Again, when we sidestep God's timing, we are substituting His perfect will, His plan, His purpose for what is really, honestly, a short-sighted want. Let's not be so focused on what's in, what, what we desire to achieve that we, that, we, that we essentially say to God, God, let me take over the situation. You know, we, 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 this principle applies when it comes to even just, um, you know, everyday decisions and choices that we make. Where, 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 where we understand the, the importance of not being so hasty, not being so quick or forward to do what seems right in our own eyes. Where, where we must learn as people who are filled with God's Spirit and led by His Spirit that we are sensitive to Him. And we say, God, lead me according to your will. Help me to take steps that are ordered by you because it, it's, it fits into the timeline that you have for my life. I want you to hear this scripture. We refer to it often, but it's important to refer to once again. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to verse 6. Because it speaks to this issue of trusting God's timing for our lives, trusting God's will for our lives, trusting God's way for our lives. The writer says in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Again, that, that phrase, your own understanding, covers our perspective of how things should be, how things should work out in our lives. He says we should trust God with all our hearts. In other words, don't, don't presume to know better than God. Don't presume to know more than God knows. Don't presume to, to, to think that somehow God just wants you to just take matters into your own hands. He says we trust God with all of our hearts. We don't lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge God. What does that mean? Acknowledging it means saying, it means saying God, you're in control. God, I'm not going to sidestep you. I'm not going to get ahead of you. God, I'm not going to dictate to you. God, you're in charge. Where you lead me, I will follow. What you want me to do, I will do. Where you want me to go, I will go. If you want me to stay, I will stay. If you want me to move forward, I will move forward. If you want me to move back, I will move back. Whatever you want, I will do. But the tendency is that when we get impatient, when we struggle to, to, to and we begin to wonder, God, when, when is that promise going to get fulfilled? The tendency is for us to want to get ahead of God. It creates problems. When Sarah did what she did, she, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but when she did what she did, she essentially um, was substituting God's perfect plan for her life and her husband's life and, and ultimately her, her lineage's life, lives by 
by preferring her short-sighted ones. But that's not the only issue that we need to address, we need to identify this morning. The other thing that I think it's important for us to remember, and this is our second point, is this, that when we sidestep God's timing, what it demonstrates is that we are tempted to view His plans for us with disfavor. Notice in verse 2, remember I actually underlined that verse. Notice what Sarah said in reference to God. Now remember, she is in a, she's in a very difficult place, right? Um, God has made this promise. She trusts that this promise is going to be fulfilled. 11 years has gone by, and she's probably wondering, is this still going to happen? Is God still going to do what he said he's going to do? But notice what she said in verse 2. See now, the Lord has prevented me. God told you he's going to make out of you a great nation. And 11 years later, Sarah is saying to her husband, God does not want me to have kids. God does not want me to be a part of this promise that he has made. I'm not, I have no part in this promise. Sarah essentially looked on God's plan with disfavor. Very, some, something very similar happened in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Not chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2. Remember when God gave Adam and Eve instructions about what to eat and what not to eat in the garden? Remember what Satan did when, he came, when the serpent came when he, when he came to Eve? What did he say to her? Did God say you are not to eat of any tree in this garden? What, what, what the serpent did with Eve was to cause her to look at God's instructions from a position of disfavor. That whatever God is saying to you, it's not in your best interest. When we find ourselves dealing with the frustration of waiting on God and we feel like a promise is made that we believe he's going to fulfill for our lives is not, is, not be, is not being carried out. There's a tendency for us, humanly speaking, to begin to question God's intentions toward us. In, in the, we do it with each other. When a person makes a promise to you and they don't fulfill that promise, you see them as less worthy of what? Trust. Am I the only one that experienced that before? When a person makes it, they're going to do X, Y, and Z, and every single time they promise, they, they drop the ball, you trust them less and less. Next time they make a promise, you're not going to be so keen on believing that they're going to do what they said they're going to do. If anything, you're going to think, you know what, this person just likes to make promises, but they have no intention to fulfill them. I don't think they really care about me. It's essentially what evil and what Sarah was doing. She was saying to her husband, God doesn't care about me. God made a promise to me, and he's not going to fulfill it. And, 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 and in a sense, Sarai saw God's intentions as acting against her favor. But that was far from the case. There was no indication that, that God had in his mind, that God had determined that he was no longer going to fulfill his promise. Because when he made that promise, he didn't just make it to Abraham, he made it to both of them. He made it to both of them. And so it's important for us to recognize that, that part of sidestepping God's timing is, is that we, we, we end up being tempted to begin to question God's intentions for us. We begin to look at His plans and purpose for our lives with disfavor. I want you to hear what Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, the way, the way it explains it. Because, because this instruction to us has to de deal with kind of what goes on internally in our hearts and our minds when we find ourselves having to wait on God in a sense. In verse 6, this is what Paul says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Where does anxiety spring from? Anxiety typically, typically springs from a feeling of unease, uncertainty. You know, when, say for example, again, I make a promise to you. 
And I tell you that at X, at so and so time, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And you're banking on me fulfilling that promise at the time I say I'm going to fulfill it. But then as the time draws near and nearer, you get no indication that I'm even moving in the direction of doing what I said I'm going to do. You're going to begin to feel nervous. In the same way that when we were supposed to leave at 3 o'clock, right? And, and we're given this indication that we are... You know, we are delayed, our flight has been delayed, and we're told we have the option of sitting in the, in the terminal, and we go sit in the terminal, and literally, you know, the, the, the gate person tell us, you know, we're hoping that, you know, in one hour from now, we'll be able to fly, but then 45 minutes have gone by, and we're like, we, if we're supposed to be flying, we should have boarded by now. And you begin to doubt as to whether or not you're actually going to leave. It got to a point where even my kids, Felt the same way. They were literally, they were, Tammy would ask me the question, Daddy, what time is it? Uh, I, 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 was, I didn't want to tell her because I knew the next thing was going to be, I don't think we're going to leave. Because in their minds, if we are going to leave when they say we're going to leave, at some point there will be indications that we are going to, we're moving in that direction. And when there's no indication that you're moving in that direction, what happens? You start to doubt. And in the same way for us, Scripture says we should not be anxious about anything, but in everything by what? Prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. At no point in here does the scripture say that because we're waiting on God to fulfill his promise and we are getting, getting anxious or, there's, there's, or we're, we're not seeing movement in the direction of that promise being fulfilled, that we just... We, we just sit on our hands and just assume that it's just going to work out. No, it says here that we are to pray. The prayer is not to wake God up and say, God, what are you doing? That's not why we're praying. We're not praying to jolt him, to get him to act. The prayer is for us. It's to get us in the right, right frame of mind where we are reminded once again that, that our circumstance is not in our control. It's in his control. And so we're, we're crying out to our Heavenly Father, saying, Father, we believe what your word says. We believe what you promised us. And we're holding on to your promise. When we pray, when we plead with thanksgiving, it's for us. It's not for God. It's not, it's not to move God to then act. When we are anxious, rather than hold on to anxiety, the scripture says we must pray instead and plead with thanksgiving. Let our request be made known to God. So again, in, in, you know, like for example, with Sarah, and then you know, for us, when we go through experiences where we're having to wait on God for something and we're waiting for a long time, scripture is saying, rather than get anxious, or rather than begin to wonder, God, what's going on? God, do you even still care? God, are you still going to do what you say you're going to do? That we pray, we, we cry out to our Father, and we allow Him to minister to us in that season of waiting. And this is what happens in verse 7. And the peace of God. So on the heels of choosing to pray, to plead with thanksgiving, rather than be anxious, rather than begin to have doubts and begin to question God's integrity, question His intentions, verse 7 says that when we pray, when we plead with thanksgiving, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word promises is that when we find ourselves in a season of waiting and it doesn't seem like things are moving, that rather than question God's plans, rather than look at his plans with disfavor, that we instead look to him and say, God, minister to me right now because I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm not sure what's going on and I'm not sure what to think of what's going on. But God, minister to me. And the Bible says that God will give us peace. God will give us peace. When we're on our trip and, and it, you know, after hours and hours and hours of delays and cancellations and delays and cancellations, we finally just in our mind say, you know what? There's a reason why this is happening. Maybe God doesn't want us to be, you know, at our destination at a particular point in time. 
Maybe there's something that God wants us to avoid. That's why he's delaying us. And yeah, it can be easy for us to get frustrated that we're not moving when we are supposed to be moving, at least what we think we're supposed to be moving. God sees the end from the beginning and we're just going to trust God. And so we, be, we try to make the best of our, our, our commute, you know, try to focus on other things rather than focus on the fact that we're sitting in terminals waiting for planes to take off. We must learn to not allow the circumstances of the day to cause us to begin to question God's integrity. And here's the last point. When we sidestep God's timing, what ultimately happens is that we end up acting outside of his will and we create pain for ourselves and for others. Again, because God has a plan for us. And God has a perfect timeline by which he wants to fulfill those plans in our lives. And because he sees the whole picture, we don't. It is easy for us to question, easy for us to think, maybe I need to just do it the way I think it needs to be done. But when we do so, friends, listen to me, we are stepping outside of God's will for our lives and we are creating pain for ourselves and others. When Sarah initiated this plan with her husband's consent, and it's not all on Sarah, Abraham had a part in this as well. Abraham could have easily said to Sarah, Sarah, no, we, we, we cannot do this. God made a promise, and I know he's going to fulfill his promise. Let us trust him. Let us wait. But he agreed. He was passive in his acceptance of, of the plan that she set forth. But what they did created generational conflict between his descendants. Notice what scripture says in verse 12 regarding this child that was to be born. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in defiance of all his brothers. You know, when we talk about a lot of the conflict that's happening even today, and it's not a political conflict, really the cultural conflict that happens, especially between the Jewish nation and, and, and the, much of the Muslim, much of the, uh, the Arab world, a lot of it goes back to this. If Sarah had known that going forward, that idea would have created generational conflict. I think she would have done different. But that's what happens when we are anxious, we're so focused on getting what we want in the moment that we fail to recognize that God has a plan and God has a timeline for us. And rather than jump ahead of him, that we trust him. Isaiah 30 verse one, I want you to hear what this says because this is very important because it not only speaks to what happened here with Sarah, but it speaks to us as well, especially when it comes to um, our, our commitment to obeying God. This is what Isaiah the prophet said to the people of Israel. He said, woe to the rebellious children. Woe, that word woe means trouble. Trouble is coming. There is, there, is, there is judgment ahead for those who are rebellious. In what sense? Rebellious toward the heart and will of God. God says to the people of Israel, woe to the rebellious children who execute a plan, but it's not mine. Do you see that? God said that trouble is coming when we execute a plan that is not his plan for us. How many times we make plans, we do what seems right in our own eyes, and then we're asking God to come and bless what we have chosen to do. Or we know clearly that God is not leading us to take a particular step, but we're expecting him to bless what we have done. God is not obligated to acquiesce to our demands. Our responsibility is to say, God, what is it you want me to do? And can I tell you this? That there are many times where God reveals his will and plan to me, and I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't want it. I feel like it's too long. I feel like it's not convenient. But I have to learn to trust him. I have to learn to trust him. Because if I sidestep his plan, what, what problems am I creating down the road? That may not only affect me, but may affect other people around me. 
Again, if Sarai knew that that plan that she initiated was going to create generational conflict, that, 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 that even last, that last even to this very day, do you think she would have done different? I believe it. Now, we have hindsight in 2020, being hindsight, we have the benefit of being able to look back at the, at the effects of her decisions. But what about the decisions that you and I are making today? Are we making decisions and choices that in our minds may seem right at this moment because it gets us what we want now and we're failing to consider what's, what the fallout can be tomorrow? This is why we must learn to trust an infinite God. We must learn to trust an omniscient God and not try to sidestep His timing in our lives because again, when we do so, we are creating pain and problems for ourselves. God said, Woe to the rebellious children who execute a plan, but it's not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Because that's really what walking outside of God's will is. It is sin. Let's just call it what it is. What is not in alignment with God's will is sin. There's no way we can justify it. We can call it all kinds of names to pretty it up, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to change the fact that it is sin. Why? Because it is a violation of God's will. And so our responsibility should be, God, help me to know your heart. Help me to know your will. Help me to walk in it. And God, when I find myself struggling to hold on to your promise because maybe I've been waiting for a long time and it's not happening or it's not working out the way I thought it should work out or the way I think it should work out, God, help me to set all that aside and just focus on you and just trust you. And, and, and in those moments of, of anxiety and, 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 and heartache and struggle that we say, God, work in me. Work in me. Help me. Give me, give me. Let your grace be sufficient for me as I wait on you to fulfill the promise you've made. Why? Because, believe you me, friends, if God has made a promise to you, he will do what he said he's going to do. You, will ne- you never have to worry about whether God is going to fulfill his promise in your life. It is the enemy that wants you to think, oh, God's, God's forgotten about you. Or God's plans, have, have ch- they've changed. God, God doesn't care about you. God, God, God's intentions for you are not good. It is the enemy that wants us to question God's motives for us, but we cannot give in, friends. We must trust that a righteous, holy God will be faithful to what he has said concerning us. And we hold on to that promise and allow that promise to be the anchor as we wait on him to do what he says he's going to do. Of course, you know their story. And I'm grateful that God is a God of grace, yes? That he didn't hold this mistake against them. God in time fulfilled the promise that he made to them. They had to wait a lot more years. Again, remember? They still had to wait. But I know that they learned a valuable lesson that we must learn from. Trust God's timing. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. Trust that he will do what he says he will do. Be sensitive to his Holy Spirit and allow him to lead you and to guide you into his perfect will for your lives. But just learn to trust him. I want to invite everyone to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. The Bible reminds us in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that this promise that God has made to us, that those that wait on him, he will renew their strength. Why? Why does God say that when we wait on him, he will renew our strength? Why? Because waiting is hard. Waiting can be draining. Emotionally, physically, waiting on God can be draining. Waiting on God can be discouraging. Why? Because God is not operating 
according to the timeline that we think he should be operating by. In the same way that when we, you and I go to a fast food restaurant and we go through the drive-thru and we expect to get our meal in five minutes, we're not going to be happy if we have to wait 30 minutes for our meal because that's not what we expect fast food to be. But when we realize the mistake we often make when it comes to God, that we think to ourselves, God has made a promise, he's going to fulfill it by based on my timeline. That's not how it works, friends. God says to us, trust me that not only do I have a plan for you, but I have a plan to ha for how to bring it about in your life. And while you wait on me, I will work in you to prepare you for the fulfillment of my promise to you. And that's what I believe God is saying to all of us this morning, myself included. There are things that I'm trusting God for that I'm waiting on the Lord for, and I'm having to learn to not lean on my own understanding of how it should be or how it's supposed to work out. I have to learn to trust Him. And you have to learn to trust Him as well. But know that God's grace will be sufficient for us in that season of waiting. I want to also mention this point that while it's important for us to, to consider this issue of trusting God and trusting His timing, realize that the most important foundation on which you and I can build our lives is a relationship with God. How can you no, how can you hold on to trust, you know, allow the promises of God to resonate in your heart and life if he first doesn't have you, if all of you, where you surrendered yourself fully to him to say, God, not my will, not what I want, but God, may your perfect will be accomplished in my life. And the most important step you and I can make, the most important decision we can make is to put our trust in Christ for our salvation. The Bible says that God has made provision for us in that this issue that we have with sin, God addressed that by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus, by His life, paid for our sins, a debt you and I could never be able to pay, because the only thing, the only, the only way we could pay it was 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 by our own death. And when there's, and in the, once 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 we die, I mean, where's the where's the hope? The hope we have today is knowing that Christ died in our place, that He paid for our sins. That even though he identifies with us, he understands what it means to be tempted, yet the Bible says he gave it, he did not give it to sin. And because of that, he stands as a perfect substitute for us. If you put your faith and trust in Christ today and allow him to become the foundation of your life, he becomes that anchor that keeps you steady in, in very, very difficult times, very difficult seasons of your life. You can put your trust in him today and believe that he'll meet you in your place and point of need. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to pray for you this morning. Because I truly believe that there are many who are going through difficult times. Things that you've been waiting on the Lord for and you're, you've been trusting Him for, believing Him for. You know God's going to do it, but, but you're willing to admit today, Pastor John, it's, the waiting is beginning to wear on me. Maybe, maybe some of you will admit that it's, it's worn on you so badly that you just, you're not even sure if God's even going to do what He said He's going to do. I understand. But I also believe that God loves you. He cares about you. He has not forgotten you. And He will fulfill His promise concerning you. You hold on to His word and allow Him to work it out in your life. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy this morning. And we are grateful from the bottom of our hearts for the knowledge, Lord, that you are faithful. You are true to your word. That God, everything you say you will do, you will always do. But God, we also recognize this morning that, that you're not a fast food God in the sense that, Lord, you operate based on our timeline. You're sovereign. You do what you do when you do it, 
how you want to do it. And, and what we have to learn, Father, is to just trust you. And to just, as Moses said to people of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of God. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I believe that there are many who are in this season of waiting. Many have been waiting uh, for the fulfillment of your promise, the promise you've made to them for a long time. And Lord, they're discouraged. God, I pray that, Lord, they would not be discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would remind them today, God, that, Lord, you've not forgotten about them. And that, God, you will fulfill in, in your perfect time that which you declare concerning them. And God, I thank you that, Lord, even in this season of waiting, Lord, as the scripture says, you renew their strength. God, their joy will not be based on what is happening or not happening. Their peace will not be based on what is happening or not happening, Father. God, their joy and their rest, Father, will be found in the promise you have made, knowing that you, God, you will do what you said you would do. You did it for Abraham and Sarah. You will do it for your people as well. And God, we hold on to that promise today. And God, we thank you that, Lord, we will walk with joy and we will walk with peace. And Lord, your people will be at rest as we see you work out your will in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.